Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman where we give you insights into the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Each episode will feature a new guest who will stimulate your mind and give you a greater understanding of yourself, others, and the world we live in. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Markman is here today. I'm really excited about this interview. Art, you're a professor of psychology and marketing at the University of Texas at Austin. You consult for companies interested in using cognitive science in their businesses. You're on the scientific advisory boards for the Dr. Phil Show and the Dr. Oz Show. And most recently, you're author of the book Smart Change, even though it recently was found that 50% of the things Dr. Oz says are incorrect. <laughs> Maybe he needs you now more than ever. One can only hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, I was, yeah, 50%. That's, that's probably about right. You know, I, it turns out, I mean, I do this weekly uh, radio show here in Austin and, and it's seven and a half minutes long. It's called two guys on your head. And I, love two guys I can on only head. imagine how much, and, and, and we, we go through all kinds of gyrations to come up with seven and a half minutes of content once a week. So if you've got to do an hour a day, yeah. I, you know, I can only imagine how quickly you run out of, of new ways to scare people. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> true. So uh, I want to start off with one of the most fundamental questions that, that your book addresses, and that's why is it so darn hard to change our habits? Yeah, so the thing about habit change is that most people who, who set about trying to change their habits, they do it without having any understanding at all about the way that the mind works. And so they spend a tremendous amount of time working against themselves to uh, rather than working with the way that the habit system and the motivational system actually operate. And so often you actually end up failing in your attempts to change behavior from the very moment that you set out and, and describe what it is that you're trying to do. And so you know, the, the idea behind smart change was let's let's start by teaching people a little bit about the way the mind works 
and in particular focusing on habits and motivation, and then step back from that and say, given that, here are some very specific tools that you can use that work with what we know about the way that motivation works uh, so that you can be as effective as possible at, at trying to change behavior. And that's, that's sort of the, the underlying idea of the book. Why is habit so hard to change? I'm not sure I got the answer from that. <laughs> well, so what makes habit so hard to change is that, um, well, it's several things. I mean, one of the things that makes habits hard to change is that we do things, the things that we do by habit, we do utterly mindlessly. I mean, the, the whole point of having a habit is that you can, you, you've now associated a behavior with a particular environment. And so you can do that behavior without uh, actually having to think about it, which is great most of the time. You know, your morning routine would be an absolute disaster if you had to think about every single thing you were going to do. Where's my toothbrush? You know, what do I do next? So here's the deal on habits. We, most of the time, our habits are really good things to have. Think about your morning routine. You get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you wash your hair, you do all that stuff, and you don't have to think about anything that you're doing because you can do each step at home in the way that you always do it. You have associated that situation with that set of behaviors. And you know how valuable this is because if you travel, you go to a hotel, now suddenly nothing's where it's supposed to be. You can't remember all the steps you're supposed to take. You can't even find your toothbrush. And and frankly, right, by the time you get dressed and stumble out of your hotel room, you're exhausted because you've had to spend the whole morning thinking about every single aspect of your behavior. So habits are great most of the time because they allow us to do these things mindlessly. Now, that's one of the reasons why habits are hard to change, because they're mindless. The second thing that makes them hard to change is that a lot of the times our habits are influencing what it is we like, what it is we want to do, and uh, and we are wired to really want to do things that are going to feel right for us in the short term. A lot of times when we're trying to change, behavior and change our habits. We're trying to switch to start doing things that are going to be good for us in the long term, but maybe not so good for us in the short term. So we're going to stop eating that really delicious ice cream and, and hopefully, you know, have a, a better beach ready body by summer. We're going to, uh, we're going to exercise more. We're going to, uh, stop checking email every 30 seconds and actually try to get things written. All of that is, is it requires us to go against the things that we want to do in the short term in order to do things that are better for us in the long term. And both of those are really hard to do. So both of those are, are reasons why habits are really hard to change. They sure are. Have you um, personally tried to change any habits that you have through your own theory? Uh, you know, I have. Um, I've done. I've done several different things. One is that I'm. I'm actually. Uh, I, I lost about forty pounds about ten, ten or eleven years ago. Oh, congratulations! Uh, thank you. And and I've managed to keep most of that forty pounds off. Um, and uh, and and a lot of what I did there is it involves things that that are related to what what is in the book. And I can use that as an example throughout here if you want. Yeah, that would be really helpful, and I can yeah. also bring in my own personal examples. I, I want you to help cure me of – I'd like to lose um, a couple pounds. <laughs> I don't know about 40. but I can't uh, imagine why you'd want to do that. But okay. I'd like to lose a couple, and um, I would also very much like to stop picking my nails. Really? You know, I stopped biting my nails. Really? And Yeah, and, and, and that's another example. I actually use that in the book, and I can, I can help you with that. Oh, please do. I would, I would give you the biggest hug. 
Well, well, let me. So, so let's actually this. Let's use that as an example first. So, I bit my nails from the time I was five years old until I was in grad school, down to the down to the stub. I mean, it was really disastrous. And uh, and and I nothing stopped it. Right? You know, my mom would nag me endlessly as a kid, and she she actually would get that hot pepper stuff that she would put on my nails, and all that succeeded in doing was making me like spicy food. <laughs> I, nothing, nothing worked. But but the very first thing you have to do is is actually to because habits are done mindlessly, you actually have to take two weeks and uh, and fill out a habit diary where you figure out when you're doing it, okay, and and when you're doing it, what you're feeling, what the situation was, and stuff like that. And and if you don't have a sheet of paper handy for a habit diary, you can download one. I have this website, smartthinkingbook.com. You go to the Smart Change tab, and there's a free uh, diary. There's a free Is there an iPhone app? Journal. Is there what an was that? iPhone app? Uh, I don't have an iPhone app yet. I, I, I ought to. You ought to. Someone listening to this podcast should give you lots of money to make a to, make an to iPhone. develop it. Yeah. Yeah. But I have a smart change journal. You can download that thing for free. It's got a 14-day habit diary in it. So, so what you want to do is before you even try to make any changes, just watch yourself for two weeks. Ask yourself, when am I doing this? Where am I doing it? How am I feeling? And stuff like that. And I actually did that. So when I was in grad school, I finally realized, you know what? This nail-biting thing is not going to get me any dates. So um, – so I decided it was time to stop, and, and I started by figuring out when do I do this, and I discovered that I would bite my nails sitting at my desk reading. So I would, you know, because when you're a grad student, that's pretty much your life. You, spend, you, you sit at a desk and you read stuff. So um, while I was reading articles, I would bite my nails. And so I actually went out and, and, and um, now you, so now, now it comes to the second principle. Now you have to, you have to change your behavior. Here's the place where most people fail when they change behaviors because they start by saying, I need to stop biting my nails. Now, the problem with that is that's a negative goal. Why is that a problem? Uh, Because it's something you don't want to do. And the reason that that's a problem is because your habit learning system is an active system. It wants to associate behaviors with the environment. If, If you say, I don't want to do something, then, then what you're doing is focusing yourself on not acting. Well, the habit learning system can't learn not to do something. So, so every time that you don't act, your habit learning system doesn't learn anything. There's nothing to learn. So what you need to do instead is to create positive goals, positive actions that you're going to perform in a particular situation. So what you want to do is to create a new set of actions that's going to interfere with what you, you're doing now. Now, for me, since I would bite my nails while I was sitting at my desk uh, reading, I bought a bunch of desk toys. Oh, wow. You right? know what? Know what? Know what I tried? By the way, I, I pick my nails. I don't bite them. Okay. But um, something I tried is um, carrying uh, lotion around with me everywhere I went. And whenever I feel the urge to pick my nails, I rub uh, lotion. Well, you well, here's what I would say is it's really useful to find a, a behavior that's going to interfere with the thing you're trying to stop doing. So something you can do while you would normally be picking at your nails um, that that would make it hard to do that, but but that behavior is more benign. Like what's a good example? Well, that's why I play with desk toys because, because it's a relatively benign thing to do and it's really awkward to try and, in my case, bite your nails while you're playing with a desk toy. 
What, so you, so you don't think the lotion idea is that good then? Oh, it could be. It could be. It's okay. just. It's just. It's just. The question is. Um, is is that enough? Is that you, do you need to do something else as well just to just to take up the time when you no, might normally be picking at your nails? Okay. But that's the key. So you got to figure out when you're doing it, and then just find. I mean, lotion could be great. I mean, I my feeling is anything that will that will get in the way of what you were doing, and that's a more benign behavior is a good thing. Okay. Um. So this applies across the board. Of Christ applies to trying to lose. Lose weight. I guess every time you want you you see something really juicy that you want to eat, do yeah. You just you just um you you, you play with blocks instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so let's let's take this in stages, right? The first thing about losing weight is you don't want to define the problem in terms of losing weight for two reasons. One, because your your main focus might be, wow, let me let me eat less. You want to create a more positive behavior, meaning you want to ask yourself, is there a way of preparing um, lower you know, uh, foods that are, that are better for you? you know, are you eating out so often? And if you eat out often and you can't avoid eating out, then you know, one of the great things you can do is to try and get restaurants to give you, to, you know, to, to, to box stuff up in, in parts. You know, like like take a full portion because portions at portion sizes at restaurants are almost always too big. You're almost always going to eat too much food in this country. In this country, yeah, Yeah, that's right. And so, um, so why you know ask get the restaurant to pack that into into you know two containers. Now you've got now you've got dinner tonight and lunch tomorrow, right? So you can save money and lose weight at the same time. But you want to do it positively, right? You want, to, you want to think about this in terms of actions you're performing because once you start eating, if you've got a jam on the brakes, right, you've got, you've got a small amount of brain uh, material in the frontal lobes of the brain, right, a couple <laughs> ounces of brain material. Thanks, that, uh, are you saying I do personally, which is true? Uh, well, I, everyone does. At best, we have a couple ounces of brain material that's, supposed, that's, that's, the, that's the last thing that's going to get in the way oh. of, uh, it, it, once our behavior starts down the track. Yes, Right. And, and, and so you don't want to have to rely on that system. I call that the stop system that yeah. inhibits the behavior that you're trying to start. You don't want to be relying on that stop system uh, too often. Okay. You'd much rather be trying to focus on getting the right behaviors to get engaged rather than having to stop yourself all the time from doing the wrong thing. Oh, that's a great, great way of, of conceptualizing it. You want the automatic system to automatically not um, have the urge to do something. Why right. do Why do I have the urge to pick my nails? Is it because I'm nervous? Uh, you know, it could be all kinds of things. At some point, it was rewarding for you. You know, the, the, the chances are the reason you do it now is because you've always done it. Yeah, I think that's At true. some point in the past, it might have been nerves. It might have just been that it felt good. You know, who knows, right? But But it's, you know, like most of these habits, at some point you do them because you do them. And the system is wired to just keep you doing stuff as long as it's not killing you. Now, how do you know? How do you know you've got a problem? How do you know you've got a habit? What 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 counts as a habit? Well, so you know you have a habit. I mean, there's two questions there. One, how do you know you have a habit? Then the other, how do you know? You have, how do you how do you know you have a problem? Right. That's a so good point. Most That's a good of, point. You know, habits can be because most habits are great. I have a habit of hugging people. Is, no, that, that's is, not that, is that good? It could be, okay. as long as you're not on the subway. Okay. I, you know, and they're total strangers. But, um, you know, I, most of our habits are really good ones. Look, you, you know, you walk into your office, you flip the light switch on. You don't have to think about where the light switch is. That's a habit. 
That's a darn good habit. Let's talk about where the light switch is. Yeah. Um, you know, so so you know you have a habit when when you're able to do the the behavior without thinking about it. In fact, you might not even realize you've done it. So you know, for me, my old house, um, one of my habits every time I came in from the, the the garage into my house, I would pop the button to to put the garage door down. And then my wife would say, did you put the garage door down? And I wouldn't remember, and I'd have to go back into the garage to check. I got so tired of checking because I could never remember whether, and I invariably, I had, in fact, put the door down. Um, I got so tired of checking, I, I, we had a, a window cut between the, in the door between the house and the garage so that, uh, so that I could just look. And, and, and that, you know, because it's one of the signs of a habit is you just don't know you did it. Yeah. But those habits are all good. You know, most of those habits are good. Then the question is, how do you know you have a problem? Yeah. Right. And and there it's a matter of of what, you know, looking around at, at your life and asking, are there are there big picture goals? What what in the book I call contributions using the terms that the, the terminology that, that Peter Drucker used those big picture things are if there are big picture things that you are systematically unable to achieve. That's when you have a problem. Right. So, you know, if 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 you want to, you know, if, I mean, you don't have this problem, but imagine one of, you know, one of your listeners wants to wants to write a book and can't seem to get it written, you know, and they really do want to do it, but they just can't. They can't do it. Well, what's going on? Well, maybe they're checking their email too often. Right. Maybe they're getting sidetracked onto lots of other things and not clearing the time. So so, you know, you have a problem because you have this goal, this thing you really want to do, write a book, and you're not able to do it. Yeah. That's that's your warning sign. That's your canary in the coal mine. Okay. And and now you got to figure out, okay, so now I've got this thing I really want to do. It's causing me a problem. Um, now now this is something I have to change. And and notice it's change. It isn't stop because because you're never you're never going to succeed if all you do is try to stop. You have to actually engage a new set of behaviors. Yeah, lay down a new automatic foundation. Right. Um, you know, you you wrote an interesting article on uh, talent and and how if we don't have early markers, we're not necessarily out of the race. Uh, and you graciously cited my book, which I appreciated. Um, my Great question, book. my question is, thank you. My question is, you know, with the the writing the book thing, um, a lot of people might get to that stage where they're having trouble. They really have the goal. And they might say, it's because I suck. <laughs> like, I'm not a talented writer. Um, yeah. you, you, I mean, your book is so um, anti uh, – not anti, but it's just it, – it, the emphasis is so much on what we can change. And right. You're, and you're arguing there's a lot more we can change that we're probably aware of? Yeah, I would say so. And I would say that, you know, one of the – I mean, there's this there's this whole stream of work that's come out recently that I really like on on self compassion. Oh, I love that work. Yeah, you know, and and what I like about that work is, you know, what it really says is, you know, we are we're all going to fail at things. Life is a series of two steps forward and one step back, uh, or sometimes even two or three steps back. And and in those moments when you do something and you fail. Uh, you have a goal, you know, you, you want to lose weight and you eat too much or, you know, you've been you've been trying to write a book and you write a chapter and it's horrible. You know, those are the moments where uh, you have to take a step back and say, all right, that was painful. 
Uh, you know, because because anytime you fail at something, it's painful. You don't you don't want to anyone who fails, even people who are incredibly successful. Most of the time you fail, it feels bad. Allow yourself to feel bad and then say, OK, good. Now, um, I failed just like everybody else fails. What can I learn from this that I do better the next time? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, uh, Pete Hine, the, the, the Dutch poet, had this, you know, has that great little he, he wrote these little poems that he called Grooks. And, and, and he had one that he calls the road to wisdom. Yeah. And, and, and it's uh, the road to wisdom uh, is to err and err and err again, but less and less and less. Oh, that's and, so great. And I love that. Right. Because because that's the way life works is is even even the best writer you've ever seen has written a lot of garbage. And and, you know, it but but they but they learn from that and they. You know, and they had days where they couldn't get stuff written. And then they and then they look back and say, well, what was going on that day that I couldn't that I couldn't do anything? And they learn from each of these experiences. And to me, that's a that's one critical part of this is is that whenever you're trying to learn to do something, you have to you have to realize that that uh, a tremendous amount of your ability to get something done involves learning how to do it. Now, now that, you know, we talk about talent and skill, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of debate, you know, this, cause you've written, you've written your wonderful book on gifted. There's a lot of debate about the, about the relative contributions of, of your endowment, who you are on, on your ability to succeed at things and, and effort. And, 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 I, you know, I think the easiest gloss on, on all of this work and, and, you know, you can, you can chime in on this cause, cause I'm horning in on your territory here, but I think the easiest gloss on this is, you can be better than almost anyone you know at almost anything if you if you really work at it. Where talent comes in is 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 generally speaking at the margins. If your goal is to be the best in the world at something, right? You you know you want to be the best sprinter in the world. You know what? You better look like Usain Bolt. No matter how hard you work, you better be six five and have springy legs. Right. You know, there's there talent matters when you're trying to be not just really good at it, probably better than anyone you know, but when your goal is to be world absolutely class. the best in the world at it. And and frankly, there are very few situations in most people's lives in which the only way that they can succeed is to be the best in the world at something as opposed to just really, really darn good at it. I, I hear you. Um, and maybe not, you know, for best, but at least maybe you can still get at a very, very high level right. without talent. I mean, I, I find it very interesting how I personally, um, you know, didn't test very well in IQ tests as a kid and um that my IQ score is the equivalent of having like being four foot five and having dreams of being in the NBA mm-hmm. and I had dreams of going to Yale which is the you know basically the NBA right yeah uh, and you know and I, and I eventually made it to Yale with a with a four, with a four foot five height um or a you know you know I'm not four foot, you know what I'm saying the analogy yeah. so I think that like that range is is still Still very, very wide. Depending yeah. based on of course, you know. if somebody who went to Brown, I'd say, "What's the big deal of going to Yale?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I understand. No, you're you're absolutely right. Cognitive science major, Brown. Great. 
you know, there's a tremendous amount to be said for, for putting in effort on things and learning from your mistakes and, and pushing forward and not giving in to the temptation to say, you know, the reason I can't do this is because I'm just no good at it. No, I think that's, that's very sensible. Um, there, there are critics that, you know, talent re- and intelligence researchers who would say, you know, you need to be realistic you need to like assess what your probabilities are and don't waste your time. Um, to me, I don't, I think you can be realistically optimistic. I, I don't, I don't really, you know, this idea of be realistic. I mean, I could have easily been told be realistic when I was younger. Don't, don't aim your sights at Yale, but, and I, and I would have been like, okay, I'll be realistic and I won't. And then I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But, well, look, yeah. what I would say is, um, is, and this is more philosophical than psychological. That's but, okay. Uh, but the fact is you, you, you don't get any do-overs in life. This is your, this is your life. You get, you get one chance at it. If there's something you want to do, um, do it and, uh, and, and, and do what you can to do the best possible job at it because you know, I, and, and, and now we will get to the research, right? You look at Tom Gilovich's research on regret and, you know, when you, when people get to the end of their lives, they almost universally regret the things they didn't do that they wish they'd done. So, you know, don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to look back on your life as you reach the end and wish there was something you had done. That's a really, it's really great advice, Art. And, and I think your book helps people change the habits that might be getting in the way of, 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 of living that good life. I, you know, I, I hope so. Look, I, I think all of us who are engaged in this kind of writing, you know, what I, what I love about the, the community of, of, of science psychology writers who are out there is that, is that really there's a, there's so much about the field that could help people to live their lives in a better way. Uh, if, if they learned a little bit more about the way their minds work. And there's a lot of us out there who are really trying to help people to do that. And, and I think it's, I think it's really important. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great opportunity for people to really, uh, understand enough about themselves to be able to, to actually achieve the big picture things that they want to, they want to accomplish. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about goals. Yeah. Okay. You, um, you argue that goal setting is very, very important. Can you unpack a little bit what goal setting is and why yeah, it's important? So, yeah, so so as I was saying, you know, when we were talking a little bit about about food and things like that, you know, the the the, the thing about our goals is that that we uh, there are two there are several aspects of our goals. The first is we we obviously want to create these positive goals like we talked about because because those are actions we're performing rather than setting our goals in a negative way. Here's something I don't want to do. A second aspect of our goals that's really important is that we want to focus ourselves as much as possible uh, on the process by which we live our lives rather than on the outcomes that we want to achieve. So a lot of times we tend to say things like, I want to lose 10 pounds. And the problem with saying I want to lose 10 pounds is um, what ha- you, know, you, you, you then engage in a set of behaviors whose desired outcome is that at the end of it you've lost 10 pounds. But now what happens? You lose those 10 pounds, and now what? Right? You, you aren't in a situation in which you've created a sustainable set of behaviors for the long term. So rather than focusing yourself on, I want to lose 10 pounds, ask yourself, okay, is there a way where I can say, look, I'm going to eat in a healthier way. I'm going to engage in a set of healthy eating habits. And as a side effect of that, I may end up losing some weight. 
But the, the main idea is I've created a set of procedures for living my life that will sustain themselves well beyond the particular outcome that I was hoping for. Oh, I really like that. And, and you know, I've heard from people who eat very healthy that if you start eating healthy a lot, you end up really enjoying it. You end up hating unhealthy food. Like you actually change your taste palate. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you're, you think about taste and stuff like that. It's, it's all there as in part as a matter of prediction. Right. That's and, right. Yeah. And so if, if you change the foods you're eating, then your brain is predicting a different set of tastes. It's going to appreciate the tastes that are associated with the foods that, that you get on a routine basis. So, I mean, look, we all know things are an acquired taste, and people are willing to acquire all kinds of tastes as long as they go along with vices, right? I mean, nobody likes, nobody likes beer the first time that they drink it. Um, you know? I, I don't even like beer even today. Yeah, well, there are there are lots of people out there who do. I actually am not a huge fan of beer. Some either. kind, some kind of. But beer. I, but 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 you know, but but uh, for me, it might be you know whiskey or vodka. But it, it you know, nobody Art, likes Markman. Hey, are they working you, know, you hard over there? In, in moderation, I'm not sitting <laughs> basketball. Um, but but you know. In, in nobody nobody likes that stuff the first time that they drink it, and then they persist at it, and then over time they 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 acquire a taste for it. Well, you know what? That works just as well for stuff that's good for you. Yeah. So you know, so it's it's if if you're willing to acquire a taste for your vices, then you got to be you got to be just as willing to 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 acquire the taste for the virtues. What are uh, what are smart goals? You say it's important to create smart goals. What what's a smart goal? Yeah, so so the smart goals they got to be positive. They got to be focused on processes. And then the third thing about your about your really smart goals is that they have to be things that can actually make it onto your calendar, right? You know, a lot of times we set goals that are way too abstract. Like you know, I, I I took up the saxophone, right? And and I was I was I was in my mid thirties. And if I just said I want to learn to play the saxophone, then to this day I wouldn't be able to play the sax because what does that mean? I want to learn to play the saxophone it means I don't know how to play it now, and sometime in the future I will know how to play it. Okay. So so you have to actually turn that into a set of actions you can perform. You know, I'm going to practice every day for a half hour after dinner. You know, I'm going to take lessons on Thursday mornings at eight o'clock, um, you know, things that you can that, that, that actually could appear on your calendar at some point. And, and unless you get down to that level of specificity, then you end up really being able to succeed, partly because you're not creating actions that you can actually perform. And partly because until you get down to that level of specificity, you don't really bump into all of the key obstacles that are holding you back. Because life is a series of trade-offs. There, there's time and resources and, 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 and enjoyment factors that, that come into play when, in your behavior. And until you start thinking up close and personal to the specific aspects of your day, it's really hard to see all those things that are getting in your way. So, so another aspect of these SMART goals is you have to get down to that level of specificity that you can really put this stuff on your calendar. Oh, that is... That's a really good point. Um, yeah, so you do – right. So it's better to frame goals positively rather than negatively. Right. Um, you also argue it's important to be flexible with your goals. Right. Um, like if you're trying to lose 100 pounds in two weeks, 
you'll realize that's not possible. <laughs> yeah, little 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 realism is a good thing. Uh-huh. My goal when I took up the sax was that I that in ten years I wouldn't suck. Oh, that's that's great. That was my goal. That's and, great. And, and about ten years after I started, I started playing in a blues band. Oh, that's so. Oh, well, can you send me a link of of you playing, and I'll put it into the show notes. I'll uh, I'll see if I I'll see if I can find if I can find a there must somebody must have put something up on YouTube. I think they have. And if not, I did a I did a a recorded lecture for for Creative Live over the summer, and and I I played I played the sax on that, and they uh, and they I think they have that freely available on their site. Oh yeah, great. And do we have do we have you playing day one so we can do a before and after thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know the story is the first day that I was playing, I was so excited. I got this saxophone. I had a lesson. My teacher taught me how to get a sound out of it. And I came home. And I played and played and played at home. And the next morning, my son, who was like seven years old at the time, comes out of his bedroom and he says, were you playing your new saxophone last night, Daddy? And I was so proud. I was like, yes, I was. He said, I thought so. It sounded like you were moving chairs in the kitchen. <laughs> did he laugh at that? Uh, you know, I did, uh, but but not probably not as heartily as he would have liked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, look at you now. That's right. That's right. So you – what I, I something else I like about your book is you talk about the importance of imagination and visualization. Mm-hmm. Um, c- could you elaborate on that a little bit about why is imagination and visualization important for uh, reaching your goals? Well, you know, if you think about it, you, you – um, in order to achieve these goals, chances are you're going to have to do some number of things you've never done before. Right, which which means that you have to really begin to think about how in the world am I going to make this happen in my life? Uh, what are the actions I need to take? What are the things that are going to get in my way? You know, one of the things I talk about is that my least favorite book published in the last twenty years is Secret. You know, this idea that all you need to do is to think really positively about you, you, things. You don't like the secret. I don't like the secret. Okay. You know this like this idea that that positive that that, that that positive thinking is all you need to get to your goals, you know, and because and, most uh, scientists love the secret, so I'm surprised. Yeah, I know, I know. It's not a shock. <laughs> yeah, it's not a shock. But I I think it's done. I think the book's done a tremendous amount of damage because it's it's really forced pe- it, it's it's moved people away from really considering all the obstacles that get in your way when you're going to try to achieve a goal. And, and I, I tell people that, that, that they should really make use of that finely honed skill that all of us have to talk ourselves out of doing things yeah. and, and to use that skill to identify the problems that are going to come up. But then rather than allowing those to demoralize you, then use those to plan for what's going to go wrong in the future and to really be ready for it. Because um, in the moment, it's it's really hard to, to figure out what is the right way from an obstacle in the moment it happens. So the idea is that that you want to be ready for the the, the problems that are going to come up. So think about this, right? You you know you go to a party, somebody insults you, and 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 later you come up with the great comment that you should have said to them. <laughs> happens to me all the time. Yeah, I'm usually well, the one insulting the people, though. <laughs> I'm joking. So so. Wouldn't it be great if if you could get the insult in advance, yeah. right? So that you you were all prepared with the comment, and then and then you could make it uh, right in the moment. Yeah. And so that's that's the same value of preparing for 
the, the, the obstacles is in the moment, it's really hard to know what to do. But if I'm prepared in advance, then when those obstacles come up, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do and, and what, what, you know, how to, how to overcome them. That's great. I mean, art, sometimes I, um, uh, I don't, I, I, I tend to speak whatever my mind, whatever, whatever enters my mind. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I accidentally insult people. And then much, much later I find out, uh, or I think about it, think it through. I was like, Oh wow, I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, so does it work both ways? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it does in a sense, right? I mean, one of the things that, that, that we often learn is, is, you know, things that didn't go well. Yes. And, and so, you know, and so, and so now you, you, you begin to recognize that when you're, when you're traveling into dangerous waters, you know, that, you know, socially, we call them social skills because they have to, <laughs> well, we, we call them social skills because they have to be learned. Yeah, no, that's that, that's that's a very good point. I will work on my social skills. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've never had a problem with you. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I just uh, social skills uh, sometimes requires just inhibiting your prefrontal cortex a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, no, I'm actually engaging the prefrontal cortex. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem. Darn it! I knew there was a problem there. <laughs> I meant sometimes it, it requires engaging the prefrontal cortex. That's, that's right. Inhibit behavior. Inhibit behavior. Uh, some of what you're talking about sounds consistent with rational emotive behavioral therapy. You know, um, are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah Albert, and, and you know, uh, Ellis. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think uh, um, I, I think a lot of it a lot of it is very consistent with that. You know, it, it's I mean, you you know a lot of a lot of what what cognitive what cognitive behavioral therapies are trying to do is to help people to develop a, a more effective set of, of habits. And and what you know what one of the important insights that comes out of a lot of that work is the recognition that some of those habits aren't aren't overt actions. They're just thought patterns. That's right. We we create we create habitual modes of thought, you know, this whole concept, for example, of rumination, which is just a word I love, right? Because it comes from the word for chewing your cud, right? Yeah. But, but this whole idea that you can get into these thought patterns where you just think over and over about the mistakes you've made and the, and, and, and the things that you're anxious about that can then end up derailing your, your ability to, to move forward in a positive way. I mean, those are also habits. Those are habits, and, yeah. And you can't stop doing those. Again, you don't want to set a negative goal. You want to find something that interferes with that. You want to find a new thought pattern that will that you will engage in those situations instead of the thing you don't want to do. Yeah, we were talking earlier about uh, you were helping me with my picking my nails and you suggested I start a smart change journal. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you're you're a big fan of, of data collection, yeah? Tim Ferriss once said that that which gets measured gets managed. Um, you would agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very hard to, 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 to change behavior if you have no idea what you're doing. And that's, that's why most New Year's resolutions fail, because people just say, you know what, next year I'm going to get in shape without ever thinking about why you're not in shape now. Yeah, so you need a compass. Yeah. Um, you, need to, you need to have that, that compass in the automatic system. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so you, you need to, you need to know what you're doing. You need to create, you know, those good goals. You need to have those, you know, the plans in place with, with those specific actions. You want to be prepared for the obstacles when they come in. And then one thing we haven't talked about that's really important, right, is, is you also want to manage that environment a little bit. 
you know, I, I always say that one of the key principles to changing your behavior is just making really desirable behaviors easy and undesirable behaviors hard. So I really should buy an entire gym and put it in my room put it, uh, or in my well, office. If you could, that yeah. would certainly work. But, you know, there are smaller things you can do. Like, you know, when I lost weight, one of my one of my my biggest nemesis was the single serving carton of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> Oh, that sounds. Do you yeah, know those yeah. cartons? They're like a pint, you yeah, know. Yeah. And you take them out of the freezer with a spoon, and you sit down and you eat it. And then you get down to about halfway, and then you take one more spoonful past halfway, and then it's just impolite. Yeah, I, I'm going I'm, I'm to need some right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now that you've activated um, that schema. <laughs> Thanks. Art. So, I, I when I lost weight, I made a remarkable discovery, and I'm going to share it with you for free. Thanks, Art. Remarkable discovery. Um, you can't eat an ice cream that isn't in your freezer. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, you got you got to play with your environment. You gotta you gotta make sure that you make you make the the the, the most um, the, you know you you want to make really undesirable behaviors hard to do. So so you know there you are. Two, it, 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 at eleven o'clock at night, you are not going to run out and grab a, uh, a, 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 a go go down to the store to get ice cream. You know if it, you'll you'll find something else to do. Yeah, I, this is this is such important practical advice. Yeah, what are you know what are some of the things that people um, want to do other than than stop losing not stop losing weight <laughs> losing weight and stop picking their nails? Um, well, there's there's lots of different kinds of things that people you know may want to do, right? So uh, uh, you know the the range of goals is 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 probably limitless. I think one of the other big ones these days is is to check is to stop checking email and 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 smartphones so often. Yes, that's a that that's another really big one. But let's you know, uh, let's do an example though of 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 how to list these signs. So you say define objectively, so you don't wiggle out. Oh um, yeah, make it easily measurable and keep signs for small achievements as well as long term contribution. Maybe we can like pick something and, and give an example of of how we could of what the form those three things take for that. Okay, so so which three things do you want? I just want to make sure I got this right here. I thought we'd go through all three. So let's start with define something objectively so you don't wiggle out. Yeah, yeah. So so let's let's think about um, checking email. Okay. Okay. So, so a lot of people they check their email way too often. Um, and and if I just say, look, I'm going to check my email less often, that's that's not specific enough, right? How do I, you know, how how am I going to really say I checked it less often? So what you really want to do is to say to yourself, okay, look. Um, I'm going to institute a new behavior. I'm really productive first thing in the morning, so I'm not going to check my email for the first time until until after ten o'clock in the morning, so that so that all of the work time that I have before ten a.m. is going to be spent on things other than email. Well, now I've defined something specifically enough that there's no way to there's no way to wiggle out of that because if I check my email before ten, I've blown it. Right. Yes. That's good. so. So that's one thing that we want to do. You know, now now imagine that you're trying to check your email and service uh, or stop checking your email so often in service of doing something like making progress on a book. Right. So so now, you know, one of the things you want to do is actually to keep track of the pages that you've written to have some specific set of 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 information in the world that will tell you, yes, I am making progress on this. 
You know, now with something like a book, there is a an object at the end of this. That is, there there are words uh, on a page, at least on a virtual page in a computer. So you have something to show for it. Unfortunately, for some number of the goals that that people create uh, for themselves, there aren't necessarily uh, there there don't necessarily have to be products for those. Um, you know, when somebody says, "I want to get in shape," well. You know, what exactly is the is the product of that going to be? And so you want to give yourself something a little bit more measurable than that. Like, well, you know, right now I can only run a quarter of a mile. Um, I would like to, 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 to keep track of how far I can run or how long I can walk and, and use that as a measure of of the progress that I'm making. Oh, your work is so consistent with Gabrielle Olingen's work on implementation intentions. Absolutely. In fact, you, if you flip all the way to the end of... I uh, know. I set you up. You know, her work and Peter Peter Goldwitz's work. I love that stuff. Yeah. I love Gabrielle's new book. Oh, yeah, Another great. If you're going to buy only one book this year, uh, buy Smart Change. But if you're going to buy two books this year... Well, last year, if you were going to buy two books last year, if you're going to buy one book this year, buy my book on creativity. <laughs> Fair enough. But I'm going to buy three books this year. I'm, say, I'm saying make sure you buy Art's book and Gabrielle's book last year. Right. But I'm, okay. saying, I'm saying this year buy my book. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, are you so, time, buy my book. Um, so what were you going to say about if you flip all the way to something? Uh, With Gabrielle Odenson's thing? Were you gonna oh, say if you flip I was going to say if you flip all the way to the end of Smart Change where the references are. You'll yes. actually find Gabrielle's stuff and and uh, and yes. Peter Peter Bolitzer's uh, work cited prominently. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's um, let's go. Let's talk a little bit about um, the importance of influencing other people. Yeah. Okay. Why so, does that matter? Why does that? Well, I mean, uh, most of us every once in a while find ourselves in the position of having not just to do things ourselves, but trying to influence what other people do. Some people are in the business of doing that all the time. Some people are just in that situation every once in a while. Um, if, if you really think about what influence is all about, influence is actually about affecting people's behavior, which means that all of the principles of smart change are, um, are not only principles you can use to change your own behavior, but they are principles that you can in, engage to help other people to change their behavior. Oh, I love that. There's a pro-social element to this. Right. Right. And so, um, and so, you know, I, I, and, and I think this is important because a lot of people who are engaged in real pro-social kinds of behaviors, they're often looking for the right message. You know, they, they, I, I, I hear this all the time. What could we tell people in order to get them to save energy or to treat people better or to stop racism or whatever it is? And, and I think what's important to remember is it's not about the message. Because ask yourself, when was the last time that anyone said something to you and just saying that fundamentally changed your behavior? Right? Generally speaking, it requires more than just telling you something, giving you a piece of information. It requires uh, all of those other elements of behavior change. And, and, and the example I love to use for this is, you know, if you take, if you take our Judeo-Christian heritage, and you look at our top ten list, which yeah. is the commandments. Yeah. Right? Ten commandments are all about behavior change. 
excise a couple of them that say follow this religion rather than that one. Yeah. All the rest of them are about do the thing that's right in the long term rather than, than the thing that's right in the short term. Yes. Right? Don't yes. That, that beautiful thing somebody owns, don't steal it. Uh, that person who just annoyed you, don't kill him. That really attractive spouse or the person living next door, leave him or her alone. Yes, yes. Right? Yes. Now remember, according to the, to, to the Bible, uh, the Ten Commandments were handed down by the deity, right? God gave the Ten Commandments. And they are an utter failure because, because despite that, everyone still does these things. Speak for yourself, Art Markman. Uh, well, okay. People do these things. Okay. So, so what does this mean? It means if God can't tell you don't do this. Yes. And right, and have it work. What makes you think that you can come along and say to somebody, "Here's what you should do or not do," and that's going to have any impact? Right. That's a good point. That's there right. you go. So it's not about telling people. It's not about having the right message. It's it's about you know, giving people the right kinds of goals, helping them to create plans that will fit those goals into their lives, being aware of the obstacles, the temptations, managing that environment, you know, and, and, and being a, an example as well, right? I mean, yes. another thing that's really important is that, you know, we, uh, you know, our goals are contagious, right? You see somebody doing something, makes you want to do the same thing. And so, you know, being that example uh, of, of the kind of behavior you want to see in other people is an incredibly powerful way of affecting mm-hmm. other people do. And you also mentioned the importance of taking advantage of laziness. Yeah. Of other people, <laughs> reducing right. the path of least resistance for them. That's right. That's right. I tell companies all the time, companies say to me, what can we do to improve wellness of our employees? I say, one of the things you should do is to get the building manager to slow the elevator down. <laughs> right? So that, you know, if the, if the elevator is just a little bit slower, so it's kind of a pain to wait for it, yeah. then people will walk a floor or two. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so... I want to. I mean, that that transitions nicely into really the last question I have for you today, and and what do you think is the biggest impediment to the to everyday to everyone um, to decide who wants to make a change in their life? You know, um, I think I think the biggest impediment most people have is that they just don't know the way that the motivational system works, and so they end up engaging in lots of behaviors that probably won't work to begin with and then they get frustrated that they failed at changing their behavior and they just give up you know i mean how many people do you know who decided not to make new year's resolutions this year because they've failed so often in the past why bother oh i just don't know anyone like that <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> i can't so, think of anyone <laughs> yeah, well, i know a couple and, you know, it's so so I think that, that, you know, people get people get frustrated. They get they they, they, they get uh, uh, demoralized by uh, by their failures in the past. And those failures are not their fault because they were walking. They were working across purposes to their own brain. Yeah. So so I, I really feel like if you if you learn a little bit about the way behavior works, you put yourself in a situation in which you can be much more effective. At, at changing your behavior in the long term and, and, and then actually succeed. I want to put everybody in a position where next year they get to make a different New Year's resolution because they've actually achieved this one. 
Thanks, Art. You really inspired me to. Um, it's not too late, right? In the new year to never too late to uh, stop picking my nails and lose yeah. a couple pounds. Thank you so much, Art, and I'm sure you inspired lots of our listeners. Thank you, sir. It's great, great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. I hope you found this episode just as informative and thought-provoking as I did. If you'd like to read the show notes for this episode or hear past episodes, you can go to thepsychologypodcast.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.